When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought tonight we were willing to just get off the ball like when there was a crowd. Um, we got some really good looks down the stretch. Um, you know, we didn't make them all. Um, kind of multiple drive almost a few times when they had them in scramble mode. Uh, got the dunks with Jaden. We got in the corner three with Ant. Um, that also opened up the glass, you know. Um, I think just, you know, Mike makes all the difference there, uh, for sure. Um, you know, getting off of it, getting us organized, uh, you know, and then, ball. Well, I mean, I thought, you know, Anthony had some really good looks, too. You know, it's good to get him some good looks rather than him having to carry the load all the time. I don't want to put all of it on just one transaction, but it's kind of amazing. It took, it took a couple games, and there's been some bumps, and this team is not perfect, but. After the D'Lo for Conley trade, and Kyle Anderson's been a huge part of this, isn't it crazy that this team has gone from, like, I think if you were to ask the NBA media and NBA teams and players, what's one word to describe the Timberwolves, like a month ago or a year ago? Soft would have been pretty pretty large in the word bubble exercise. S-A-W-F-T, soft. When did this team... And I know the answer. It's like in the last couple of weeks, Conley's a big part of it. Become this like hardened, mentally tough, defensive grinding, go on the road, shut down your best players at the end of games, team that nobody probably wants to face in a seven-game series right now. Isn't it really? kind of crazy? The word that I would use is mature because I, I think two months ago, they were an immature basketball team. And... Keep in mind, our conversations then were about what? We're about, you know, can Ant lead? And Ant is trying to lead, but are people paying attention? And D'Lo is doing this and that. And Gobert at that time was not really, even with Cat out, fitting in. Like, think about it now. It's a mature team. And, and like, I will give you what I think is quietly one of the most important things. Think about two months ago and, and now and how Gobert now fits in. And Gobert is not a sexy player. Like, he doesn't do things where you're like, oh, my God, what did he just do? But look at the last two games, two really difficult road wins. Look at the rebounds. Look at his production. Everybody is doing their damn job now. And I do think that, Phil, to go back to what we have discussed, I know he didn't play last night, but Carl Anthony Towns also, because of how it's structured, is fitting into his role. It is now a mature team. And that's yeah. the thing that I think we all sort of called D'Lo out for was it was just very clear he was not a mature player. 
I guess personally, I didn't realize what a guy like Conley was going to do just from a mentality standpoint of how oh. everyone approaches their job. You listen to old Macadac a little more, uh, a little more closely. Yeah. Tried to tell all of you guys just because he's not a better player right now than D'Lo. Like D'Lo's a more skilled scorer and player. Yeah, just like it's funny because Kyle Tige and I on Flagrant Howls we did it was kind of tongue in cheek joking and poking at the Wolves for trading all their leaders in the Gobert deal and like, all right, what are the leadership power rankings? You know, six months ago. Yeah, and we're like, uh, I guess Austin Rivers is number one, <laughs> and maybe like Gobert. Cat's not like ever been a team leader type personality, and now if you were to do leadership power rankings right now. Ooh. I think Mike Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson would be tied for the top any given night, any given situation. Torian Prince has emerged as a mature adult leader, right? Anthony Edwards has probably risen up that list. Nas Reed has probably risen up that list. You know, yeah. Jordan McLaughlin even as a backup point guard. And, and, and Jaden McDaniels, I said this to you guys with Royce today too. He's not like a – he's never going to be, I don't think, a vocal leader. He's got He's got that Kawhi Leonard – sort of DNA, just a silent sort of assassin. But that guy, just with what he does on the floor, just shadowing your best player at the end of a game, making sure that Steph Curry doesn't touch the inbounds pass. Leadership by example. So it's, dude, it is crazy. There, two weeks ago, you're looking at the schedule saying, okay, you just lost, what was it? They lost like three or four games in a row to go two games under 500. Um. They're trying to get Cat back healthy. Anthony Edwards went down. They lost, yeah, back-to-back to the Bulls and the Raptors. And that Knicks game, man, I don't know what the conversations were beforehand, and I don't know, but everything just seems to have kind of clicked with the glue guys and the stars. Everyone understands their role. Mike Conley has given some speeches behind the scenes about how this far into the season, it doesn't, like, individual stats aren't going to move the needle. We are 75 games into the season. You putting up an extra 10 points over here or whatever, like getting yours doesn't matter anymore. Your averages are what they are. Pour everything into the team. And it feels like that's what they've done these last four games. They're not selfish. Yeah, and, and th- he's exactly right. And plus, I, I also think, and we discussed this as well. So a while back when a guy like Austin Rivers talks about, you know, I'm expected to lead here and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, dude, here's the problem. You don't play enough to lead, really. Like you have to play some. Because, you know, being a leader of a team, I think, occasionally involves a speech or being vocal. But more importantly, I think it's how you approach your job and having the respect of your teammates. And if you don't play, you might be liked, but it's really hard to lead. Mike Conley plays. And, and, you know, slow-mo, God bless him. Great nickname, by the way. Kyle Anderson plays. And what they can do by playing is they could back back it up. And I think that's incredibly important. But, you know, I mean, this is really the last two games and going back to, as you said, the Knicks game. If you watch these games, everyone is doing their job. And at times it switches out. Yeah. And other people pick up the slack. And like how many Wolves teams, you know, in recent vintage have we seen that with? It's always been either selfish or one guy tries to do it, you know, as much as he claimed to lead Jimmy Butler, right? It's like, just give me the damn ball. I'll, and, and he was good enough. But the reality is, is that a winning formula for like a playoff series with this franchise? The answer is probably no. Right now, I think you're right. I don't know I want to play them. 
the other thing I know we're kind of focusing on Conley here. You know, there's a, a bunch of guys that deserve the spotlight from last night. Conley was one of them. He scored 16 points on eight shots. Uh, was you know had some some great defensive possessions. Was just an organizer. But the other thing that he brings that D'Lo just did not have is the credibility of having played in about 45, or I don't have the number in front of me, like 45 or 50 playoff games. You know, D'Lo's history in the playoffs is that one series with Brooklyn where they got bounced in like five games, and then last year, the play-in, and then they get bounced again. Like, D'Lo hasn't fought the wars of postseason battle in the Western Conference. Mike Conley has. Now, Mike Conley doesn't have a ring, but when he comes in here, and you're going up against, you're, it's down the stretch. And by the way, credit to D'Lo, because he single-handedly, I think, carried you in the second half of that Clippers playing game last year. But at the end of the day, when you got a bunch of must-win games on your schedule, and they're at Golden State, at the Kings, who are the third-best team in the West, you know, the Suns here this week, it's kind of nice to have a guy that has fought those fights in a ring in May. I don't know if he's ever played in early June or not. Uh, but he's played a ton of postseason basketball games in his career. 73 postseason games for Mike Conley in his career. There you go, dude. And, and he played a, a ton of them, did came in the early years in Memphis when he was a lot younger. But even, you know, this turnaround that's last like two weeks, and, you know, I know Conley talked about individual statistics don't matter and whatnot, and, and that I, I believe him there, that that's true. But, I mean, Conley over the last eight games has been incredibly effective, like individually. He's shooting over 50% from the floor. He has a 48% shot from three. He's playing productive minutes, 31 minutes a night, not getting into foul trouble, leading this offense. Like, you can tell that there is a humongous difference. Is he going to be the ice cold, ice in my veins type of guy like D'Lo is, where it's volatile and one night he can carry it to a win like he did in the play-in game against the Clippers, and other nights he's shipwrecking you and trying to get his shots. Mike Conley's been around enough, and he's been around enough playoff rosters that it just clicks. And, you know, this is a sneaky one. And if you would have asked me when they acquired him, how many playoff games has Kyle Anderson played in? I would have said, I mean, I, I remember him. I remember him in the series against, like, last year, obviously. But I don't know. I would have said a couple of years. I really don't know. 47? He's played for, you know, another guy that, and they were teammates for, uh, for uh, well, maybe they, they might have missed each other, actually, in Memphis, um, him and Conley. But, you know, with the San Antonio Spurs, Kyle Anderson, played in the Western Conference Finals a few years ago against the Golden State Warriors, right? Like, they've got dudes on their team who don't get thrown off or flustered or feel like they're sort of playing in over their heads in some of these games. They're like, oh, we, yeah, we play in May, we play in June. That's our careers. The most important thing, too, is is this. Um, with previous Wolves teams, when the playoffs have approached, you said if Cat melts down, they're pretty much screwed. They're in huge trouble. With this team, the weight that they're playing now, they're not. So if Cat melts down, if Cat pouts, if Cat, I don't know, picks up a foul that he thinks was not a foul and just decides to take a quarter off, you're not dead now. And it's not and it's not because, oh my God, can D'Angelo, who obviously didn't in the Memphis series, save the day. It's because you have an infrastructure that now allows other people to actually step up. I think the most important, I think the single most important thing from from the team that existed before the deadline, in addition to slow-mo, is Nas. Uh, because Nas Reed now, look at how he is playing. Like, we we thought when they got Gobert that Nas was just out. Like, Nas might play some, he might get traded, I don't know. But that he was not going to play a primary role, and he didn't. If you look at the first part of the season as they tried to get Cat and Gobert playing together, uh, Nas 
sat out like six games. Yep. Now, look at what he can do and, and his versatility. And he's not cat, but he certainly can do a lot of things probably as a poor man's cat. But more importantly, I love how he's wired. I love how he is wired. You know, just like get you a bucket when you need a bucket. You know? Exactly. Kind of crazy. And, and is there ever any like pouting or panic there? Like, that's what I love too. Like, he strikes me as having a playoff mentality. Yeah. Kyle Anderson, right? Mike Conley. Like, that's the most important thing, I, I think, in professional playoffs. It's not just who is who's uh, good, that helps, but it's also who's wired to handle the pressure. Because I think the people that are really help the guys around them who might not be to keep them calm. You know, and I would ask this too for anyone that, because there's a lot of people chirping after three games or whatever. And I think Conley had the one scoreless game, 33 minutes, he went scoreless. And he even said, God, my life's been kind of a whirlwind, but let me get settled here and you'll see, and you'll see the real Mike Conley, right? And there was a lot of people saying, what a, just another terrible trade. Fire Tim Connolly, right? He's just, well, I would ask those same people, after these last four games, would you swap Mike Conley back away from the Timberwolves and bring in D'Angelo Russell to finish out the stretch? And I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some people, some some D'Lo fans out there that would, but really, would you would you want that? Another thing, too, that it just, it's I think it's it's a big deal is Mike Conley doesn't need to shoot. And I may have said this on yesterday's show. He doesn't like his game doesn't require him to oh I, I need to get a feel for 15 shots before I can feel like I'm, you know, in the game here. He's out there. Him and Kyle Anderson are so great for this team. When we talk about glue guys, because their entire job and they have embraced this is getting other people going, right? It's finding someone else for an open shot. It's getting a rebound to keep a possession alive in the case of Kyle Anderson. Yep. They're not they're not necessarily out there needing to get their own 20 points. Sometimes it happens organically if the ball comes back around to those guys or the shot clock's winding down and Kyle Anderson has to put up his uh his patented sky hook <laughs> that he's been uh unleashing. So they just they they've needed glue guys like this and they have them. And so that game against the Suns on the road this week could be a tough one, but their schedule actually kind of lightens up after that too. And they're and they're right now they have the tiebreaker over the Warriors. So as we sit here recording this today on Tuesday on Mackie and Judd, uh, the Wolves are the sixth seed in the Western Conference, and they would play a seven-game series against the Kings, who they've beaten three out of four meetings this year, the only loss in overtime. How about Wednesday night in, in town here on TV? Wolves at Phoenix. I believe that starts at 9 p.m. Central. Wild at Avalanche yeah. starts at 9 p.m. So a battle for the top get of the, the division there, too. Get the too. clickers going, baby. Get the two TVs <laughs> well, we're going. We're getting the flag after get those the games. Get going. Hold on a second. I got to find my flag. I got the wolf flag. Go get the Get your wolves flag up. Get your wolf power. There it is. There Let's it go. is. Let's go. Nine o'clock, baby. <laughs> get, the, get the beer cold. Get the clicker ready. And, and later this week. Wait Twins baseball, gentlemen. Twins.com slash tickets. Opening day at Target Field specifically is April 6th at 3.10 p.m. as the Twins face the World Series champion Houston Astros. Gates open, by the way, two hours before first pitch at 1.10. Uh, I know that we're more excited almost just to see the new rules, right? Oh, you're saying left-handed hitters could maybe uh, get a base hit now because the shift is banned in the infield? So buy your tickets at twins.com slash tickets. First chance to see the new uniforms, the new revamped rotation, twins.com 
slash tickets. Also, a shout-out to our friends at EcoFun, EcoFun Motorsports, all right? So uh, a few things here. The preseason sale on all electric bikes and scooters featuring the uh, BeatStar step-through electric bike, MSRP just, uh, let's see here. Oh, wow, MSRP uh, 2099 on sale for 1599 lowest price ever. And a C-Star 500W trail electric bike, MSRP 2299 on sale for 1799 Judd's got his twins hat on, too. Put your EcoFun hat on, Judd. EcoFun Motorsports. Give me an EcoFun hat. EcoFun Motorsports. I will not buzz off. That hat, fits you, to buzz off. hat fits you pretty well there, Zolgad. That uh-huh. hat fits you pretty well. Uh-huh. How about that? This up. guy. Uh-huh. Look at this guy. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. We like to rank things on this show, and speaking of new rules for baseball, Judd has a a pecking order here. Is it your favorite rule changes in sports history, Um, or how far back are we going here? I'm going way back, but... It's 10 rule changes in honor, like you said, of what baseball is doing, which is significant. It's 10 significant rule changes that I think have, for the most part, benefited the sport, okay? In Judd's lifetime, which means uh, cutting the bottom of the no, peach actually, basket going, out for basketball. Exactly. I'm going back before I was born. Uh, I'm starting at 10 there and going up to the, the most. The forward pass. Yep. Actually, just wait, okay. Number 10. <laughs> Number 10. The National Hockey League in 1956-57 allowing players serving minor penalties out of the box after a goal. You used to have to stay in the box to serve the entire thing, and the Montreal Canadiens would score like three oh, goals on a power On play. minor penalties. So on a minor penalty. A five-minute so This is how the Gophers flattened Canisius. As it, was, it was a very close a game, major. and then doofus guy for Canisius decides doofus. to get squirrely. But in the mid-50s, the Canadians would just score a ton of goals back in the old six-team National Hockey League on a minor penalty, and so they changed that rule. That's number 10. Number 9, 1974, the goalposts in the National Football League being moved from the front of the end zone to the back. So if you go back and watch old games on YouTube, you will see the old goalposts, which which had uh, two stanchions, basically, were at the front, and like guys would run into them. What year was that change made? 1974, it was changed back to where they put the goalposts at the back of the end zone like it is today. So, like, 1973, the goalpost, like, if you go back and watch a Bears game at Wrigley Field where they used to play, guys would run into the goalposts. I just want to see the kicking stats and how how aggressive. So, 1974 was the first year. Kicking stats were always bad back then, and uh, and the, well, they probably just didn't. I guess the the stats wouldn't be that different. They would just like not attempt the longer field goals, right? Right, exactly. Okay. And at that time, like it's a forty yard attempt. This is going to take a lot of leg. And the kicker has to set his cigarette down and line up straight on with his still black high top cleats. Smoked? Just yeah, just Drink had him. a heater. Just wait, just Len Dawson. Yeah, be great. Set, set it down. Oh. Uh, all right, number seven. Phil joked about it. It's no joke. 1933 is when the NFL said the forward pass it can actually come from a guy. Get this. It used to be you had to drop back five yards to throw a forward pass, or it was a penalty. 
1933, they said, this is really aggressively stupid. We're going to allow the forward pass without you going back five yards to throw the ball forward. Pretty damn important rule change. I mean, think about how boring football was before you could pass the ball. Like, you know. well, and yeah, exactly. Number, number. I bet you there was a bunch of old school football fans at the time. The guys who like started, they started watching club football in the 1800s. They were really <laughs> bent out of shape over that major rule change. Right? You're gonna ruin the game. Yeah, yeah. This game's never gonna make it. It's a minor league sport already. No, we're not Clancy. It's gonna make the game more, Clancy. more uh, explosive and fun. Number six, and this is because it's been controversial. It's had a huge impact, some good, some bad. I think for the most part, it's it's, it's probably considered good. Replay review in sports, which is really, like now it seems like it's been for, around for a long time. It really hasn't in the, in the big picture of sports. But, you know, football, basketball now. In basketball, I think it's used too much at times, especially in college basketball. It's abused. But replay review in sports, which now impacts all sports. Yeah. Uh, the only major league to not adopt it yet is the WWE. At some yeah, point, yeah. maybe we can get the the WWE in. Although I do agree with Michael Grady on the Valley's broadcast the other night. It's like, if we, okay, we could speed this up. We don't need umpires walking over and putting a headset on. We don't need Scott Foster walking over yeah. and putting it. We've seen the replay six times, and then Scott Foster's <laughs> like, we're going to review the play. Like, okay. Well, you know why? Because those guys love th- that camera. Like, who's the, the guy that was doing the Golden State game? He's got a great voice. The official. He's got yes. that great. And he's funny, but he loves the, like, he's he loves the process. Too. I feel like these NBA refs are getting yoked now that they're on camera yeah. more often, right? Minnesota will, challenge, Minnesota will challenge the play. And while they do, I'm going to sing a karaoke tune because I'm the star <laughs> of the show. You'll never find... <laughs> All right, where All right. are we at? Where are we at? Number six. Number six is, and this is where it gets good, 1994, the implementation of the two-point conversion in the National Football League. Oh, that's been 30 years. College football had been around forever, but but it used to be a one-score game was really a one-score game. Now it's got a little bit more fun. Uh, that was a rule that was long overdue, but that one, I think, is is one of the most important because it makes the sport a hell of a lot more fun. Do you think the NFL will ever adopt the XFL's current model and give you a three-point option from the ten-yard line? Oh, it's funny you say that because we're going to get to because we're going to get to a league that did exactly that. Okay, all right. Okay. Number five, and yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but now it's it's now it amazingly took a long time to become a universal rule, and it had a tremendous impact on the sport in part because it kept guys employed. The designated hitter introduced to the American League in 1973. The first DH ever to hit a home run in a major league game, Tony Oliva. Against the Oakland A's. In Interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh-huh. All right. Number four, the three-on-three overtime in the National Hockey League, um, which I think is as much as I, I hate the shootout, which I refuse to put on this list because I hate it so much, I think the three-on-three is one of the great things they've done. It makes it, – it's fun. It's pond hockey, basically. There are some things about it now that drive me crazy, like guys taking the puck and going backwards. Uh, <laughs> but none, but nonetheless, it was a good rule change. Yeah. I think it's it, – it, anything that creates more space and allows for more athleticism has Amen. potential to be fun, right? Amen. Exactly right. All right, top three. Um, coming out of the lost season in hockey to the lockout 2004-05, the 
the elimination of the red line and a ton of rule changes that took that game from being I, I consider the time from when the North Stars left to to the, the Wild came when I started to watch that the sport again a lot in 2000 unrecognizably boring it was yeah. boring it was in trouble um the lockout the best thing about losing an entire season was not the CBA it was the decision to make the game more exciting they made a bunch of changes the sport now I think is fantastic it's fast offense is back um they were in big trouble those changes if those changes I think had as big an impact on the game as I hope baseballs do now yeah yes um I I, I really I I hope I don't know, like it might be too far gone for baseball, but it kind of feels like baseball and hockey, like late to the party on some of these changes may have just like lost a generation of fans. Um, I don't know that, I guess it kind of feels like there are some fans that like kind of went away around the lockout with boring hockey and then the lockout never came back. Uh, We'll see if it brings fans back to baseball or if it just preserves the current fans. We'll see. I think if you can get games down to two plus, I think you'll get young. I think you will get young fans who wouldn't watch previously. I think that's your greatest hope. Mm-hmm. Last two are basketball, no surprise. Number two, 1954-55, NBA implements the shot clock. Before then, Dude. you could just keep the rock. High school you basketball, you can just you can yeah. still do that. It's I so think Minnesota high school basketball is going to a shot clock next season, right? Okay, okay, Thank at God. least do it in the tournaments for God's sakes. Just do it all the time. If Johnny wants to pass the ball, Johnny's off the team. Who like? I'm I mean, you. wouldn't your strategy be if you if you took an eight to two lead? Why would you ever shoot another shot? Yeah, I think it was was it Hopkins or someone? I think they're like they were playing someone in the tournament like five six years ago. They held the ball for like two straight minutes. Like it yeah. was it was to uh, uh, like towards the end of regulation. They just held the ball. They just swung yeah. it all around. It's obnoxious. College basketball, man. Four corners. They literally passed the ball. And and the most frustrating thing is. Like the shot clock just solves it. Yeah. Like it's not this, oh my God, you made a rule change. It basically is, it's just like baseball. Clocks solve issues. And then the top thing will uh, be no surprise to Phil Mackey. It is the three point line introduced in the NBA in 1979 80. The three point line. And, and this is where, you know, traditionalists are like, well, you can't change that. You can't change that. The NBA taking a, a page from what the ABA did, said that looks like a really cool idea to make games more fun, and they drew an arbitrary line. It's it's yeah. one of the great things. Like now, You can't make a drastic change. It'll ruin the game. Like, I love in college now, old school, real old school gopher fans are like, what would Trent Tucker have done with a three-point line? I'm like, too bad we didn't find out. Yeah, I know. And again, like without the three-point line, that's why sports are so hilarious back in the day. Without the three-point line, why would you ever shoot a shot from, like, 20 feet? You know, I get there's a couple guys that could probably knock it down, right? Like, John Havlicek could probably make that shot at a high enough rate. They go. But just, just pack it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, I did some math, by the way. 1974 NFL kickers, they only made four 50-yard field goals. The league only made four 50-yard field goals or more in 1974. Yeah. They combined to miss 92 field goals under 40 yards. Yeah. Just shanking 34-yarders with their straight-on. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, no. They, it's it hilarious. Was, it was awful. Go, uh, go back and watch watch the condensed version of The Miracle at the Met, 1980 Browns-Vikings. If I'm not mistaken, Rick Danmeyer missed three PATs. 
Like the old school PATs. Oh, the, that's funny. The chip shots. By the end, Kramer's like, you stupid SOB. Like Tommy Kramer, they showed him on the sideline berating Dan Meyer because he's like, do your job. And, of course, Rick was a straight-on kicker. Uh, but, yeah, I, the the progress that kickers have made is one of the most incredible things when you realize how funny it looked when they were just missing left and right. Can you name any of the kickers that made a 50-yarder in 1974? Uh, did Dempsey, did Tom Dempsey of the Saints? Because he, he made, I think, a 63-yarder with the, with the boot. With the foot, yeah. With the he only club. attempted one beyond 50 yards. Uh, wait, wait. In, in what year? 74. Jan Stenerud? That's one of them. Jan Stenerud got one. Yeah. First soccer kicker, I believe, if That's I'm not mistaken. Um, he was the most accurate, one of the most accurate kickers, yeah. Garo Upremian? Uh, nope, nope. Okay, all right, all right. Um, wow, you, I, I mean, he was a kicker in the league. Oh, yeah, yeah. He threw the Super Bowl pass that got picked off by, I think, Washington in return for a touchdown against the Dolphins. Now, the other ones were Bill McClard. Wouldn't have got him. And Never Chester Markle. Oh, yeah, the Packers. the Packers. Yeah, Chester Markle. Chester Markle. I wouldn't have guessed him, but yeah. Some Bill of these McClard, kickers are hilarious. The The San Diego Chargers kicker was Ray Worshing. And Ray, oh, yeah. poor Ray, uh, only made 45% of his field goals. Bruce Gossett for the Niners. It is windy out there, in fairness. Uh, was 11 for 24 on field goals that year. And he also, oh, but he was perfect on his extra points. So he probably made the team the next season. He probably didn't get cut for that. Yeah. Amazing. So anyhow, all right, there's your history lesson. Judd's pecking order, the best rule rule changes in sports history, some Wolves optimism. You guys have a scoop bonus scoop session with Doogie today on the Mackie and Judd feed and uh, two episodes of Purple Daily for your listening pleasure. We'll see you guys tomorrow for Write That Down.